Okay, friends, if you got a Bible, please grab it. We are in Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22. We're going to read the very last verse of Acts chapter 22, and we're going to go into Acts 23 through verse 11. The entire book of Acts, as you know, is a book about the early church. It's about the first church planting movement. It's about how the Christians in the early church had this incredible sense of confidence and joy even amidst the persecution that came their way. And Luke is not only a historian, but he's also a theologian. And at this point in the book of Acts, hear me now, this is very important. From chapters 23 all the way to the very end, to chapter 28, these last five chapters of the book of Acts, Paul turns a corner. He experiences something he's never experienced before. He goes from being the missionary to being the criminal. And Luke wants you to make a connection. He wants you to make the connection because Paul goes through five trials in these last five chapters after three missionary journeys. There was somebody else that we know who also had three years of missionary service, and then he himself went through five trials. Who would that be? Your Savior who loves you. If you're you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, the relationship between Jesus and Paul becomes very, very clear in these last five chapters of the book of Acts. Jesus had five trials, so Luke shows us, does the Apostle Paul. Jesus was rejected by his own people. So was the Apostle Paul. Jesus was arrested without cause. So was the Apostle Paul. Jesus was imprisoned. So was Paul. Jesus was unjustly accused of willfully and willfully misrepresented by false witnesses. So was the Apostle Paul. Jesus was slapped in the face. So was the Apostle Paul. Jesus was a hapless victim of a secret plot. So was the Apostle Paul. Are you beginning to see connections? Jesus went through five trials. Ananias, the Sanhedrin, King Herod, and twice by Pilate. Paul goes through five trials. The crowd, the Jewish high council, which we're going to look at today, King Herod Agrippa II, and the two procurators or the governors, Felix and Festus. When Paul leaves Miletus and he goes to Jerusalem, he brings with him this incredible gift offering from the city of Corinth to the leaders of the Jerusalem church. And then he makes a concession as one who has gone to the Gentiles that Paul will then do certain Jewish practices in order to help the Jewish Christians there. But the Jews who weren't yet Christians saw Paul bringing Greeks into the temple area, so they thought, and they got extremely upset with him. And in chapters 21 and 22, you see all of this begin to take place so that when you come to what Will is just about to read, you have an angry mob who is essentially trying to lynch the Apostle Paul. And the Romans pull Paul in and rescue him, and then they take Paul to the high court of Israel called the Sanhedrin in order to figure out what to do with this guy named Paul. And that's where Will is going to pick up in reading. You may be seated, please. Father, would you take now this word 
Your God-breathed scriptures, and would you marinate our hearts in it and change us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Some mornings when you listen to the news, it's actually tough to sit there and take it all in, right? Like right now, the world needs wisdom like no other time. There are issues for our government alone where they are spread so thin across our borders, and now we have this deep issue at home to deal with, with um, trying to prevent an outbreak of Ebola. And by God's grace, hopefully that will happen and we'll be safe. But the Liberian president was on the news, if you listened last night, begging the Western world for help. She was at the end of her rope. She had no idea what to do, and millions of people are threatened by this deadly disease. She needs wisdom. I need wisdom. You know, some of us are trying to figure out how do we raise our kids in the suburbs in a way that actually helps them treasure community and treasure Jesus and not just use the gospel or use the church as some kind of add-on to our life, but how to understand all of Christianity through this worldview where everything is viewed through the lens of the death, resurrection, and glory of Jesus Christ. We need wisdom to know how to do that. I need wisdom. You need wisdom. Lauren and I have, um, have members in our own family but who received news not long ago, Lauren's brother, in fact, that they had a child, that they were, they were pregnant. It was glorious and happy news until the doctor called them and said that every uh, cell in this little baby's body has abnormal chromosomes and they will never live a normal life. And they will be severely mentally retarded. They need wisdom. Luke is very intentional in his scriptures on how he puts Acts together. You notice that, you remember that in the very beginning of his gospel, the gospel of Luke, he makes a statement about Jesus in Luke 2.52 that says that Jesus grew in what? Even Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And then here you go to the other end of his work in the, very, the final sections of his second book, the book of Acts. And here you have Paul, this missionary par excellence who we hold out as the greatest missionary, indeed he was, of the known world. And here is Paul. What is Paul doing? Paul is growing in wisdom. And in Acts 23, you have this microcosm of how Paul grows in wisdom. These last five trials of Paul take up over 200 verses. And just like Jesus, Paul is continually accused by the Jews. And just like Jesus, he is rescued by the Romans. Remember, Jesus was accused by the Jews, and the Romans were the ones who always declared him innocent. But the Jews demanded that they put him to death. So also, the same tendencies are happening now. 60 years later, where Paul is arrested by the Jews, accused by the Jews, and Claudius Lysias, this tribune, we know his name because later in Acts chapter 23, Claudius defends Paul and is trying to figure out what to do with this man. We need wisdom. And Paul shows us, Luke shows us through Paul how we get it. Wisdom is learned. Wisdom is practiced. And those growing in wisdom need encouragement. 
Wisdom is learned, it's practiced, and those growing in wisdom need encouragement. Let's look and see how Luke shows us that through this trial of Paul before the high council. Wisdom is learned. The school of wisdom. The ancient uh, Greeks wanted to take every member of civil society to the school of wisdom, and they tried to do it through teaching them the four cardinal virtues of classic education. Justice, temperance, courage, and prudence, or sapience, or wisdom, sagacity, wisdom. And they defined wisdom as the ability to judge between actions with regards to what's appropriate at the given time and what's not. How would you define wisdom? Sometimes we hear wisdom defined as wisdom is rightly applied knowledge or using what you know in a right way. Right? Wisdom is more than knowledge. It's not less. But it's applying that knowledge in a particular way. Let me argue from this text that there is a very important place for wisdom in the Jewish life. In fact, they gave a whole section of their ancient scriptures, the Old Testament in your Bible and mine, to what's called wisdom literature, right? Job, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes. These are to give young men and young women the wisdom that they need to go through life. So you'll read these books and you'll find things like Proverbs 3, 7, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. If you know what's right and wrong, therefore do it. Rightly applied knowledge. Or Proverbs 12, 15, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but the wise man listens to advice. And Proverbs 13, 16 says the wise man takes advice. Proverbs 23, 4, do not wear yourself out to get rich, but have wisdom to show restraint. And you know, just like I do, that sometimes wisdom means you have to learn what to say no to as well as what to say yes to. In the New Testament, James, the very person that Paul goes to in Jerusalem, James, the half-brother of our Lord, says that if any of you need wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all and it will be given to him. Like, we need wisdom, and never more do we need wisdom in times of intense emotions and intense trials and intense pressure on us. Isn't that right? Those of you who own your own company or who you work as a consultant or you work as a contractor, you know that whenever the end of the month comes and you're trying to meet your metrics, that's the time when your stress level rises. That's the time you need wisdom to know how to love your wife and your children and the Same time, you're running like crazy at work trying to get things done before the close of the bell. If knowledge is the accumulation of facts and intellect, then wisdom, biblical wisdom, Christian wisdom, means knowing the subtleties of the heart. And as I said to begin the service, wisdom is the ability to see life from God's point of view and living as though God's promises are true. That's how we're going to define wisdom. It is the ability to see life from God's point of view and then living that out as though you believed his promises were true. Augustine said that true wisdom is distinguishing between what hinders and what helps love. 
kids, um, kiddos, listen to me for a second. Do you know the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Like, you know that when you're in, when you're, uh, you're in art class, knowledge is like knowing how to take that pencil or that piece of charcoal and draw this beautiful painting. Knowledge is knowing how to hold it and how to draw it, but wisdom is knowing that you can only draw on that piece of paper or on that canvas. You can't go draw on the wall. That's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Or, how many of you guys know how to ride your bicycle? Yes, thank you. I see hands. So when you ride your bike, that's knowledge. You know how to pedal and keep your balance, right? But you know, wisdom is something different. Wisdom is actually knowing that you don't go on 129th in the middle of the street and ride down hoping the cars are going to miss you. You can know how to ride a bike, but wisdom is knowing where to ride your bike. Knowledge and wisdom. That's the difference. Or those of you who are um, close to driving age, the difference between knowledge and wisdom is knowing how to use a cell phone and knowing that when you're driving a car, I confess, you do not text as you drive. That's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. My wife is back in the children's area saying, amen, I hope he takes that advice. Knowledge and wisdom are different. Wisdom is, li- is understanding. It is seeing life through God's point of view and living as though his promises are true. There's a huge difference between wisdom and advice. And wisdom has been communicated to us these days in terms of like professional degrees and continuing education. And some of you may have terminal degrees. You may have the highest degree you can get, a PhD or an MD or a JD. That's awesome. That does not mean you're wise. It is wise to get degrees, but that doesn't mean you have wisdom. Wisdom cannot be bought with tuition. Wisdom comes through experience. It comes through the hard knocks of life. And here, Paul finds himself in the midst of a very, very difficult situation. How did Paul learn wisdom? Well, Paul learned wisdom first through mistakes. He learned it through mistakes. Notice in the text, look, Paul comes to this high priest and to this council, right? It's the highest council in the land. Every Israeli city had 20 to 23 men who were called the high council of the area. They were made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. They were the ones who governed the town. And the highest court in the land is like the Supreme Court in America. It was called the high court of Israel. It was in the capital city in Jerusalem. And so this Roman tribune, Claudius Lysias, takes Paul to this high court and says, help me sort this out. What is going on? You want to lynch this man, and we need to know why. And so Paul, standing before this high court, launches in and says, brothers, I have obeyed God's law perfectly and have a clear conscience. And something strange happens. He gets punched in the mouth. Like, why would Paul get punched in the mouth? Because he's trying to say he has a clear conscience. Commentators are actually quite divided on why. It was either because they don't think that you could ever have a clear conscience because they know as Jews who are striving for perfection that their conscience is never clear. Or, and perhaps equally as likely, is that when you're in a high court, there are rules of that high court, 
The first of which is you never speak unless you're spoken to. So here Paul comes, this Pharisee of Pharisees who was once on this high court, who has the audacity to say the first word. And he gets punched in the mouth just like his Savior. But notice that Paul immediately, what does he do? He responds in grace and justice and he's so well put together. No. Paul flat out loses his temper. He loses it. And he says, you punched me in the face and you judged me with the judgment you can't even keep? You're a whitewashed wall. He loses his cool. And Luke knows that Paul is human. He's painted Paul like this perfect missionary up until this point. He knows that Paul is human and he wants you to see that Paul learned wisdom through his mistakes. And the council responds to Paul with equal passion and says, who are you to speak to the high priest that way? And immediately Paul recognizes his mistake. Because Paul hears the voice of his master and he knows the Old Testament. He knows what Exodus twenty two twenty eight says. It says, you shall not revile God or curse the ruler of his people. And they quote that to him. And Paul immediately apologizes. He immediately recants. And this great opportunity for him to defend himself, he humbles himself under this high, who has the authority to take his life. And he learns wisdom because, frankly, Luke wants you to know that Paul lost his cool. He was not very wise. And why Paul lost his cool may just be because he's a sinner, and indeed he was. But also commentators ask this question a lot, because did he, did he just lose his cool, and why? And why did he call him a whitewashed wall? Well, Paul was probably calling out his hypocrisy. But also because it may have been that in the babbling of voices, Paul really couldn't pick up exactly who said to hit him. And so Paul had no idea it was a high priest. Maybe it was an informal gathering of the Sanhedrin called together very quickly. There's nobody robed to lead, to moderate. Paul can't see. And Paul can't see, perhaps. In Galatians, it suggests he had poor eyesight. So maybe they are robed, and he just sees this white wall of a man in a white robe in the distance and says, yeah, the illusion works. You look like a whitewashed wall. You are a whitewashed wall because I can't see very well. Paul loses his cool and he calls them a whitewashed wall and immediately when they show him that he disobeyed the Old Testament, Paul backs up and he apologizes. He made a mistake. And that's how wisdom sometimes is learned, isn't it? You know how also wisdom is learned? It's learned indirectly. Because students, um, friends, listen, sometimes when you want to grow wise, you don't grow wise by reading um, The Dummy's Guide to Wisdom. Although I think there is one out there. You grow wise indirectly. You grow wise by following through on what Christ has called you to do. You grow in wisdom by obeying what God has called you to do, even as Paul does here, despite the fact that he has to eat crow, that he has to apologize publicly in order to do that. Paul knows that he has a mission, and he's trying to get to Rome. 
That's where he's called to be. And he will do anything he can to get there, to bring the gospel to Rome. And as he's going there, he learns wisdom along the way. It is through his desperation, it is indirectly through his great need for help that he actually learns wisdom. So listen to me. Are you open for advice? Or do you pretty much think you have it all figured out? Listen, the Apostle Paul is a whole lot smarter than anybody in this room. And he was very quick to apologize. Are you? How's your conscience? Are there areas of your life where you know that you have willfully disobeyed Christ and you just don't care? We say this in a new members class all the time. It is struggle with sin, not necessarily a victory over it, that marks your growing relationship with Jesus. You learn wisdom through the mistakes you make and through the desperation that you find yourself in. And if you have it all together, then you're not growing in wisdom. You're going to grow in folly, which is the opposite, and in arrogance, which is the result. Wisdom is learned. Secondly, wisdom is practiced. Now, this crowd wants the Apostle Paul dead. That's what they're going for. And the high council convened together to determine what to do with Paul. And never more than right now does Paul know that he needs wisdom on how to get himself out because he is at their total control. And Paul, maybe he thought back about the example of Solomon. Remember the example of Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3 where Solomon has two prostitutes that come to King Solomon. And remember, and they tell him a story. They say, look, we both gave birth to children and we were the only ones there. And During the night, the first prostitute says she fell over on her child and she suffocated him. And then she took the dead baby and she put it to my breast and she took my child and put it to hers and we woke up the next morning and we didn't have the same children, but she says that we did. And they're both arguing with the king on how to do it. And do you remember remember what Sullivan says? Get me a sword. And he gets the sword and he lays the live child and he says we're going to cut him in half and one of the women says no 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 give it to her and the other woman says no cut him in half and Solomon takes the child in first Kings chapter 3 you can read about it and he gives the live baby to the first woman who wanted to give the child to the other woman because she knew that that was he knew that that was the mother it's a classic example in the Old Testament of wisdom at the moment on his feet thinking well now here's Paul before the Pharisees and the Sadducees, on trial, he has no control over his future. And he knows he has to get to Rome. But Paul knows, and as a member of this high council once himself, that he knows there are deep divisions within this group of people. Because the Pharisees were the ones who descended in between Malachi and Matthew. They were the ones who wanted to preserve the Old Testament law and to wait for the Messiah to come. They were the ones who admits the Jewish war 
who said we are going to be faithful to the Old Testament scriptures and we are going to try to teach Israel how to be faithful to what the Old Testament commands us. And so they were the middle class. They were the ones who were fiercely religious. They were the ones who believed in the resurrection of the body one day to come. They were the ones who believed in the coming Messiah. They were the religious ones. And on the other side of the aisle, you had the the Sadducees who were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. And they were the high-cultured people. They were the rich kids. They were the wealthy kids who were assigned with taking care of the temple and preserving Jewish culture. And because they didn't believe in spiritual angels or the resurrection, they were the ones who were given authority over Israel to preserve the culture of Israel. So you have the religious keepers and you have the cultural keepers all together. And Paul knows that they do not love each other. In fact, they hate each other and they're forced into this council because they need each other. And so Paul, thinking on his feet, just like King Solomon, says, hey, look, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe in the resurrection and in the coming Messiah. And I believe in angels and in spirits like these guys do. Don't you believe in these things? Yes, we believe in these things. You don't believe in these things, do you? No, we don't believe in these things. You think these guys are unsaved pagans? Yes, we do. They think you're like dogs. What? And then Paul gets these guys like riled up in the middle of this trial. That's essentially what happens in Acts 23. He uses the knowledge he has and he applies it. (laughs) I twist them. And as these men are literally like fighting each other, they find themselves so consumed with their disagreements that Claudius Lysias, this tribune who's watching over, Paul grabs him by the scruff of the neck and goes and throws him back into the barracks to protect him, to get him out. Once again, the Romans save Paul, just like they tried repeatedly to save Jesus. Wisdom is practiced. The Sanhedrin were the ones who were given the administration of the state. They were the ones who represented Israel to the world. And the Pharisees were the ones who thought, no, they do not believe in the Old Testament law, and they don't get it. And Paul used the differences in order for him to get to his final destination, to Rome. Luke undoubtedly wants you to know that. Luke knew, I mean, Paul knew that he had a much greater chance with the Romans. All right, do you see the point? The point is that Paul used wisdom in the moment. He thought on his feet in order to live out his calling for Jesus. And men, many of you need that same wisdom when you're working throughout the week. Because there are a lot of things out there that are called ethics that are not ethical. And there are a lot of decisions you have to make where you have one bottom line according to your boss and that is make the company money. And you have to learn how to operate by more than one bottom line sometimes, by doing what is right, at the same time being profitable. You need wisdom. And as you pursue wisdom, as you grow in your relationship with Jesus, you need encouragement. You'll learn wisdom, you practice wisdom, and you need encouragement. Even Paul needed encouragement. Because notice in verse 11 in chapter 23, if you have your Bibles, look at it with me. Paul is pulled back into the barracks of this Roman jail. 
This is the Apostle Paul. And he's wondering, Jesus, I live my entire life in obedience to God. First as a Jew, so I thought I was obeying God. And then saved on the Damascus Road, now living as your missionary at your service. And I have no idea if I'm going to make it out of here alive. You ever been there? Have you ever been to a place where you realize, you know, I just, I have no idea how I'm going to make it out of this week. I have no idea how we're going to make ends meet. I have no idea how I'm going to pay off this credit card debt. I have no idea where we're going to live. I have no idea where I'm going to get a job. Listen, every person in the history of the world has been pursuing wisdom. And it goes back to the very, very beginning, doesn't it? Because what did Satan dangle out before Eve? In Genesis 3, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree had fruit that was good for eating, it was a delight to her eyes, and she des- it was there to make one wise. She took its fruit and ate it, and she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And then their eyes were indeed opened, and they knew that they were naked. And shame entered the world. There, outside um, the Office of Religious Life on the campus where I used to serve as a campus minister, there was a statue there in marble, and it had this quote by Joni Mitchell. And it said, We are all billion-year-old carbon. Horrible theology. But hear it for what it said. We are all billion-year-old carbon stuck in the devil's bargain trying to figure out how to get back to the garden. And our struggles for wisdom will lead us to cynicism if we're not careful. Even the same wise man who in 1 Kings chapter 3 made this incredibly wise decision right on the spot to determine, to judge rightly whose child this baby was, was the same man who wrote, the preacher who wrote in Ecclesiastes, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity, Ecclesiastes 2, 15 and 16. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no endearing remembrance, seeing that in the days that come to all, all will be forgotten, and the wise dies just like the fool. Do you hear his cynicism? His realism? Struggling. The pursuit of wisdom means you need encouragement. Paul had had an exhausting two days. He had a confrontation with Ananias. Then he had this huge argument with the Sanhedrin and now he's find himself in jail and he's incredibly discouraged. He's anxious about Rome and in his moment of discouragement, what happens? His Savior comes to him and his Savior comes to him to give him a what? To whisper over him a promise. You will indeed be my witness in Rome, Paul. Do not be discouraged. 
Jesus does not speak to us through supernatural revelations anymore. You know why? Because he's given us his word, his holy Bible, and that canon is closed. And in this book, he gives us the same encouragement through the same means, through his promises. And you know what he promises you? I will never leave you or forsake you. That I never sleep or slumber or fold my hands to rest. I am always active, never at rest. I am coming for you. I will redeem you. I will not leave you as you are. That's the promise that Jesus gives to every single one of us who are in faith and in union with Christ. And even this morning in church, even here, Jesus comes to you, not in the midst of barracks, not an audible voice, but Jesus comes to you to tell you, hey, you know what? I know you've had a hard week. Hey, you know what? I know that you have family that have been in the hospital. Hey, you know what? I know that it was a very, very difficult week of traveling for you. I want you to know that I'm with you, and I love you. And the good news for you is there is nothing on your heart that I don't know, and I will take care of you. I don't promise that I'll get you out of debt. I don't promise that your life is going to be like you might want it to be. But I promise you that I will answer your prayers that you would have prayed if you knew everything I knew. I promise you I'm with you. Of all, our, of all the liars in the world, our fears are the worst. One wise man once said, and Christ comes to whisper over your fears, I've got you, and I love you. And Richard Hooker, many years ago, showed us that the wisdom that we need is the wisdom of the cross of Jesus Christ. He wrote in the 1600s, let men count it folly or frenzy or whatever. We care for no knowledge, no wisdom in the world but this, that man has sinned and that God has suffered and that God has made the sin of man and man is made the righteousness of God. God took our sin upon himself and he gave us the righteousness of his own dear son. And when you can rest in your justification, when you can rest in what God has done for you, then you can begin to take steps in wisdom. Because wisdom is learned. Wisdom is learned by mistakes and it's learned by desperation. Wisdom is experienced. Wisdom is practiced. And you need wisdom. You also need encouragement. The wise are encouraged by their Savior. The old medieval Irish hymn says, Be thou my, what? My wisdom, and thou my true word. I ever with thee, and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father, and I thy true Son. You're really his child. You're really his. Thou in me dwelling, and I with thee one. And do you know how Jesus comes to you to remind you that he loves you? He comes to you through what we're about to do, the Lord's Supper. Through his word preached and also the word tasted and touched in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And he reminds you as you taste this wine and you, drink, you eat this bread that Jesus says, I am with you. My body was 
given for you. My blood was shed for you so that you might have life and you might have it indeed. Paul, the great missionary, is for us the demonstration of what it means to grow in wisdom even as his Savior and yours grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. Be thou my wisdom and thou our true word. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you will be our wisdom and you will be our true word. And Lord, you promise that you will make us one even as you and your Father are one. That is a staggering claim in John 17. One that we will spend all eternity learning about because it's so beautiful. So Jesus, would you help us to grow in wisdom? And would you teach us now that the first step in growing in wisdom is to admit that we do not know much. And you need to help us know ourselves. And you begin to help us know ourselves by leading us in repentance and in faith and the courage to walk in new obedience. So help us to do that, we pray. Help us to take courage. Help us, Lord Christ, to know that we can see things from your point of view as we live as though your promises are true. We pray this for ourselves, for our family, and for our children and those who don't yet know the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.